you want to be having some conversation with your child about this and ongoing so they understand why there is a difference here. And part of talking to them about it is listening and hearing what they have to say about it rather than just saying it's, you know, of course you're important. Of course your brother or your sister has this issue that you don't have. You want to say, oh, how do you feel about that? What do you understand about what Johnny is dealing with? Welcome to Tilt Parenting, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. I'm your host, Debbie Reber, and I'm excited to be bringing to you a show on the topic I probably get requested the most, and that is how to manage the dynamic between siblings, specifically when one or more siblings is neurodivergent and the other, or more than one other, is neurotypical. When I was prepping for this episode, I posted on the Tilt Parenting Facebook page and asked for questions for my guest, and I was flooded with so many concerns and challenging scenarios, a lot of overlap there, a lot of really interesting questions. So I searched high and low to find an ideal guest to get into all of it, and I found a fantastic one, Dr. Jill Emanuel. Jill is the Senior Director of the Mood Disorders Center at the Child Mind Institute in New York City and is a clinical psychologist with a breadth of experience in the evaluation and treatment of children and adolescents with mood and anxiety disorders. I had read an article on Child Mind's website called Siblings Under Stress, and I instantly reached out to get Jill onto the show. So this is a jam-packed episode as we really do get into all of it. How to handle double standards when it comes to time and energy and attention focused on different children, how to talk to our kids about what's happening with their sibling, repairing sibling relationships in the aftermath of intense, aggressive, and even harmful behavior, and so much more. So if you have more than one child and are struggling with what's happening between them, I hope this episode gives you some hope, some great insights, and some practical strategies to bring a little more peace into your day-to-day. Before I get to our conversation, I have a few quick announcements. First, there are several new supporters of this podcast that I wanted to give a shout out to. So a special thank you to Greth Foss, Carla Cram, and Amy Padato. Thank you so much for being a part of this community and for helping support the production costs for this show. I'm so grateful for your help. And if you too get a lot out of Tilt Parenting and would like to make a small monthly contribution to funding the show, it's really easy to do. Just go to patreon.com slash tiltparenting and sign up. You can pledge 10, 5, or even just $2 a month. Again, that's patreon.com slash tiltparenting. And now here is my conversation with Dr. Jill Emanuel about managing complicated sibling dynamics. Hello, Dr. Emanuel. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thanks for so much for having me. I'm super excited that I found you um, through the Child Mind Institute, which I've been, you know, I, I share a lot of the resources and great content throughout the Tilt community. And I'm just super excited to be talking about this topic today. But before we get into that, can you just take a few minutes and introduce yourself to the audience and maybe tell us a little bit about the work that you do with the Child Mind Institute? For sure. Um, So I'm a child and adolescent psychologist. Um, 
I am a psychologist that works mainly with what are called evidence-based treatments, treatments that have a research background to support uh, the interventions that we do. And I work with children, adolescents, and young adults who primarily have mood disorders, so depression or sometimes even bipolar disorder who kids whose emotions are really, really big. Um, and we do different kinds of treatments such as cognitive behavioral therapy or di dialectical behavior therapy, if you've heard of some of those terms, um, to help these children. But a lot of those kids, of course, no kid has just one thing that they're dealing with a lot of the time. So we deal with kids who have ADHD and anxiety, kids who are struggling in school, kids who ha are very gifted and don't know how to deal with social skills, kids who have learning disabilities. So there's lots of different problems and, and issues that kids are dealing with. Um, my organization is called the Child Mind Institute. We're based in New York City, and we are a nonprofit that is dedicated to transforming the lives of children and families struggling with mental health and learning disorders. So we have a lot of um, good resources on our website, which is childmind.org. And uh, I always encourage people to go there and read them because there's just great stuff on there. And um, we do a lot of work both um, with advocacy and also with clinical work as well with children. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, I you know, I think child mind and understood are the two resources I refer to the most. And there is so much great content on your website. So I'm so happy to be having you on the show to talk about this today. So today we're talking about sibling challenges and my listeners know that I only have one child. And so this is, I often weave a lot of my personal experiences into conversations, but I, I can't. And, and so I always feel kind of at a loss when this comes up when talking with groups of parents. So I actually threw out to my Facebook community that I was going to be speaking with someone about this. And I got a lot of great questions and comments. And there are a number of themes. And I just kind of wanted to start in the very beginning one parent wrote that I get more triggered by sibling conflict than anything else. You know, this parent said that she feels she can deal with the child's anger at them, but that when they're being mean to each other, it that is the straw that breaks the camel's back. It's, it, it tips them over. And this that was echoed by a lot of people. So can you talk a little bit about what is it specifically about that dynamic between siblings, especially if one's neurotypical and one is atypical, that can be so challenging for parents. Yeah, I could absolutely give give some insight into this. Well, first of all, we know that children, siblings in particular, fight and argue and and nag at each other and do little things to annoy each other. Um, and there's, especially in families with a lot of siblings, there's certain ones that get on each other's nerves and others that get along. So it really just depends on the dynamics between the siblings. But then I think when you have a child who's neurotypical and a child who has other special needs, then it really creates a whole nother level where parents are like, why is this happening? Why? So, and a lot of the time it goes toward the kid who's neurotypical. Why are you picking on your your brother or sister because you know that they have uh, these needs um, or even sometimes it goes the other way where the child with special needs is is acting out on their sibling and the parent understands that they're what maybe why they're doing it but it's just their tolerance level has just gotten to the point where it's like I can't do this anymore. Why, you have to stop this. And so it really, it can be very triggering for a parent because I think underneath the surface, what is it that really is going on? It's about 
what's the parents feeling? And if it's an out of control feeling a lot of the time, like I want, I don't want this to be happening. We already have enough stress. We already have enough going on. Why is this that you have to be doing this now when we're just trying to all like manage every single day? So I think a parent gets tipped over pretty easily and understandably. So I think that's some of the the stuff that's going on. I wonder too, if, and, and I'd love to know if this is something you've seen in your work, you know, a lot of the pain for parents when they're raising a kid who is in some way differently wired comes from that expectation of what their child would be like not meshing with reality. And so I know so many parents have multiple kids because they really want their kids to have each other, you know, to be best friends and to be supports throughout their lives. And so does that expectation of what they wish it looked like get in the way as well? Oh, I think that that's such a huge piece of this. I mean, I think every parent goes into this thinking, okay, this is potentially the way it's going to go. And I I have dreams and and images of what their child's life is going to be like. And when they realize that it's going to be something different, particularly something that presents a lot of limitations or a lot of challenges, and they know their child's going to be struggling for the rest of their lives, the last thing they're going to want to be doing is to see that child struggle more on a day-to-day basis. And some parents are able to, they, they go at it right away and they're like, okay, there's these differences there we have to deal with them. And some parents, it's harder to deal with that. It's very emotional for them. And there's no judgment on either side. And so that there's these expectations aren't you're supposed to act in this way, and then they don't. And it's a continued disappointment. It's a continued trigger. And a lot of the work that we do is to really help the parents come to terms with what the child's strengths are and what their limitations are going to be. And then to, to accept them to really fully accept them so they can move forward not having those false expectations hanging over them. Mm-hmm. So, okay, there's so many different themes that came up, and I, I'm going to go through some of them. The biggest theme, I think, is this perpetual challenge about attention. You know, oftentimes the atypical kid requires a lot more. And, you know, the, I know there are all kinds of metaphors and memes I've seen about what this can look like and how to explain to an NT child why another sibling is is getting what seems to be more attention or more supports. Can you talk about that and any strategies for parents who are really struggling with wrapping their head around this concept? Oh, for sure. Isn't time the biggest problem with all of us and for parents with with real challenges with time with their kids? Absolutely. It becomes a huge issue every single day. So we know that a child with special needs has more time demands a lot of the time. And so what happens is until the parent picks up on that, that they're actually spending so much time on one child and not another, that other child is definitely not getting as much attention. That being said, um, once a parent does realize, or maybe they've known it the whole time, I think there's a false expectation that you have to then spend an equal amount of time. And it's not about the quantity, it's about the quality. So what we try to tell parents is that even if you give that other child just 10 minutes a day of an undivided attention where it's not about the phone and it's not about a screen or anything like that, where it's truly interactive or just being there, holding them, doing something where it's just them 10 minutes a day. And some parents might be 10 minutes is even hard to find. And I, I get that. Um, but that will do a world of wonder. Parents often will will go 
to the point where they say, oh, no, I'm not spending all this time. And then they don't wind up spending any time. So just to set the, the bar a little lower and say, I just got to give them 10 minutes. Maybe it's 10 minutes before they go to bed or you have a particular routine that you do every single night. Maybe it's as that that other child gets to sit next to you at the dinner table or help you make dinner or do something like that where it's it's very much that kind of undivided attention. It doesn't have to be all fun and games. It can be lots of different tasks. So be creative about it and think about just how can you be with that other child for 10 minutes a day. Yeah, that makes sense. And and I can see that's probably just a reframe for a lot of parents to recognize it's, you know, that quantity versus quality piece. Um, does the same go for I don't know, maybe jealousy for the NT child because their sibling gets extra supports or extra accommodations or, you know, whether maybe it's in sports teams or after school activities or things like that, what might be perceived as a double standard. Is this something that parents should be talking openly with the kids about so they kind of understand the reasons why these things are happening or how how should parents handle that? Yes, absolutely. You want to talk to your children about it all the time. You want to make sure that they understand. It's never too early to start talking about who their sibling is and what their sibling can do and what their sibling can't do. And they have to, of course, talk about it in an appropriate developmental way. But some siblings may not understand what's happening with their brother or sister. Um, They also sometimes may feel guilty that they've done something wrong or they somehow caused it or they may even feel like they're not as important because they don't get as much attention. You want to be having some conversation with your child about this and ongoing so they understand why there is a difference here. And part of talking to them about it is listening and hearing what they have to say about it rather than just saying it's, you know, of course you're important. Of course your brother or your sister has this issue that you don't have. You want to say, oh, how do you feel about that? What What do you understand about what Johnny is dealing with? Do you know why we have to spend an hour going to this appointment this day? This is why we have to go to this appointment. So those are some of the things that parents can do. Mm, Okay. All right. I want to get to like what I would consider to be one of the biggest questions and maybe the toughest question. I'm super curious to hear what you would say. Um, I hear from a lot of parents about kids who their relationship with their sibling has really suffered, maybe there's Mm -hmm. trauma involved, you know, that sibling might have been the recipient of a lot of aggressive or or big or scary behavior. How do you begin to repair that? You know, I think maybe this is a two prong question. In the moment, do you have ideas about how to keep kids safe or give uh, the neurotypical kids or both kids strategies in those hard combative situations? And then how do we go about repairing when there has been some real damage done to the dynamic? That's a very challenging question, isn't it? There's a lot of different ways I can answer it too, because I think it depends on the situation. So I'll try to give something very general, but I think it's really going to depend. So what happens is there are definitely situations in which there is arguing, fighting, even some aggression, things getting thrown, people getting punched, things that are very scary um, that happen. And in the moment, the first priority, of course, is to make sure everybody stays safe. Um, so that may mean to separate kids from each other, make sure one's in one room, one's in another, to make sure that everybody calms down um, and everybody's emotions are are lower before any kind of consequences are given for behavior. And it's really important that consequences 
are given. You know, so we we always say we want to praise a child when they they do well, and we also want to make sure that we give appropriate consequences when they there's something need to, they've not done well and they need to learn. So so that would be the second part of handling it is to be able to once ever all the emotions have calmed down to have everybody sit together and talk about if possible, this may not always be possible, what happened and what could be different next time and to make sure that consequences are given. Um, I think for the siblings that are struggling with their other siblings that are having these difficulties, there's a number of different ways I think you can go about um, addressing it. One, again, is to have those conversations with them at another time. Um, Some siblings go into therapy themselves to get some support. There are also in some places some sibling support groups for children with special needs or sibling support groups. You know, they have sibling support groups of kids who have medical disorders like cancer or something like that. So there are sometimes other support groups for siblings. Um, I think it's also that one thing that can happen with during these periods is is that if there's been a, a rupture, a real traumatic event, that it's hard to get back to normal routine. It's really important to get back into your normal routine as fast as you can so kids can get back to what they know and expect so they feel safe. Um, so I, those are some of the things that come to mind right away. So in our house these days, Darren and I have been working together to up-level our nutrition and healthy lifestyle habits. Maybe it's our age, our changing bodies, my shifting hormones, whatever the reason, I'm here for it. And that's why I'm loving Green Chef, a meal company that makes eating well easy with plans to fit every lifestyle. Green Chef offers gut-friendly recipes each week and is committed to providing a holistic approach to nutrition by offering meals that contribute to the overall well-being of your entire body. Darren and I are particularly big fans of their nutrient-dense, science-backed gut and brain health recipes, developed in partnership with registered dietitians that improve digestion, reduce bloat, and also boost energy and immunity. This week's favorites, turkey, black bean, and sweet potato chili, and the Baja chicken bowls with mango salsa. I mean, don't those sound delicious? But if that's not your thing, you can choose from a variety of customized meals to suit your lifestyles with preferences like keto, vegan, vegetarian, fast and fit, Mediterranean, gluten-free, and protein-packed. Whatever you choose, you'll get farm-fresh ingredients, organic whole fruits and veggies, and premium proteins, along with chef-crafted, nutritionist-approved recipes delivered straight to your door. Go to greenchef.com slash 60tilt and use code 60tilt to get 60% off plus 20% off your next two months. That's 60% off plus 20% off your next two months when you use the code 60TILT at greenchef.com slash 60TILT. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. This year, I've been working on becoming more attuned to my body. And so I'm starting to really recognize how periodic spikes in anxiety or disruptions to my routines can seriously throw my whole system off. And as I've been traveling a ton this past month, which is both disruptive and somewhat stressful, I'm especially glad that I have the extra support of Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement from Ritual with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Symbiotic Plus provides fuel to the cells that make up the gut lining to support a healthy gut barrier. And it comes in this very cool minty delayed release capsule, which was specifically designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract for delivery to the colon. The bonus is that the capsules don't need to be refrigerated, so I can easily bring them with me in my carry-on. On a personal level, I love that Ritual is committed to sustainability. 
They're a female founded B Corp, meaning they are holding themselves accountable long term to not only think about their company's financial health, but also the health of people in our planet. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash tilt for 25% off. And then in terms of healing that relationship, I can imagine that parents may feel an obligation or or pressure um, to really try to fix things. And I guess I'm wondering what's realistic to expect going back again to the the sibling who might be the recipient of the aggressive behavior or be kind of recovering from some trauma. Um, I'm assuming we don't, we don't want to force them to be a certain way or feel a certain way toward their sibling who they might be still feeling hurt. So what should we expect and, and how can we help our kids heal from that kind of trauma? Yeah, this is this is so tricky, isn't it? Um, I think it's really going to depend on the family and the situation and the particular kids involved. But one of the things I see parents do sometimes is they expect the apologies to be flying right away um, when they're not ready to be given. And one of the things that I think really can hinder is that when you force an apology before it's genuine. And so the child who had the blow up may really believe that they uh, were wronged in some way and don't really compute that their actions were not appropriate. So then the parent is saying, you have to say sorry to your sibling. And they're like, no, or they, they do it because they think they have to, but they don't really mean it. So the first thing I would say is to, to really wait until the apologies can be genuine. Sometimes you may want to teach your children to once again, the, the emotions have gone down to, to maybe do something nice for the other sibling or maybe the apology letter can be written or something along that line. But something, what you really want to overall demonstrate is that it can't be just swept under the rug and we're going to move on and we're going to pretend that that didn't happen. You want there to be an expectation that there will be a conversation as much as the child is able to do it. It may be just the child who had the blow up listening to the other, to the siblings say, you hurt me and not having to say anything back. It may be that the child who was wronged actually has to sit down and listen to an apology when they're maybe having some hard time doing it, or maybe they wait until there's there's a time when both people feel ready. But So there's a lot of different possibilities, but I, again, the biggest point is to say, don't sweep it under the rug, because it also creates a sense of um, where there's not safety because they know it's gonna happen again. and And they're like, well, let me just wait till the next blow up. And then they're living in a state of uncertainty and and lack of safety. Yeah, and I I love that advice about not forcing the apologies because I I think that's kind of a default for so many parents, right? Like say you're sorry and you just want to kind of move on. But I guess what I'm hearing is that too, this is a process like like everything is with raising differently wired kids. Like this is something that's going to take time and a lot of conversations and we shouldn't expect kind of quick fixes when we're trying to foster better relationships with, with our kids. For sure. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. So here's another question that came up a lot and it is regarding younger siblings mimicking an older siblings behavior. There's a lot of concern about them copying 
you know, just immature or aggressive behavior, or that they're going to normalize that because that's what they're seeing their older sibling being rude or explosive. So any thoughts on that and how to prevent that from becoming their new normal? Yes, many. Um, So first of all, one of the things we have to recognize is that it's so typical for any child to mimic the behavior of especially an older sibling, right? That in and of itself can be very cute. And there will be lots of examples where it's like, Oh, that's adorable. Um, That's funny. But (laughs) then it's not when it's a when it's a negative behavior. So the most effective way a parent can address this is, again, to give appropriate consequences and consistently. So when a child is being rude, both children get a consequence. So the child that that has special needs basically has some sort of outburst or is rude in some way, there's there's an action taken to remedy it. And then the, the child who is copying sees that and knows that if you do this, you get a consequence, maybe I shouldn't do this. And then they'll test, because that's what they do, (laughs) to see if you're going to do it with them. And then you give uh, maybe not the exact same consequence, because it may depend on the age and and developmental level, and and certainly the child itself, but something that will tell the child, nope, not acceptable. So that it's the it's how you do that. Now, one of the things I'm going to say right out is that parents are exhausted. <laughs> and it's really hard sometimes to be that consistent in giving these consequences and addressing these behaviors. And we're really, really aware of that. So you do the best you can do, you do the best you can, and really understand that you have to tackle it on both ends to make sure that the copying uh, gets addressed. Mm-hmm. That's great advice. So Okay, here's another one. Um, And I'm wondering if you have any kind of specific language that might be supportive. Parents want to know how exactly to talk to their NT child about what's going on with the atypical child, especially if those kids are the NT kids are really young. And so do you have any specific thoughts on how to have those conversations? Yeah, um, I'm going to share a perspective that may be a little different and go from there. Um, I have a friends who have a, a child with a pretty significant special needs, and then they have a younger son. And one of the things that they've done, I've noticed, is that they've demonstrated that their life is their life. And that the way their life works is around the child with special needs. And that younger child has just adapted really nicely because that's his life and that's what he knows. And so I think the the younger ones particularly, what they are seeing is their world. So we think that we have to explain to them that there's a difference here and all that kind of stuff. But really, I mean, assuming there's no like major aggression or anything that's really going to affect the younger child in some kind of way, um, really, I think the first thing you have to do is recognize to see it through your child's eyes and see what they're actually seeing. And at some point down the road, when they start to ask questions, when they say, okay, they're noticing the differences, that's when you start having the conversations. That's when you start to say, okay, yeah, this is where we're different from other people. This is what your your brother or sister is, is dealing with on a day-to-day basis. But before that, just see it through their eyes. See that they may not be seeing the differences that you or, you or other people see. Um, so that that's one way I would address it. Um, I think it's important that with labels in particular, 
It depends on how the, the labels are used. If people are very much pro labels and, and use it as a source of pride and use it as a way to, to define and, and join a community and, and be a tribe in some kind of way, then, then use the labels. If, if not, then do it the way you feel is best for your family, I guess is the best way I would say it. Yeah, I love that answer that the younger kids may not be seeing the, the differences and to really think about it from their perspective, because I really think that younger kids, especially when they're in the toddler preschool years, they they may notice difference, but they don't ascribe good or bad to it. It's just, it is what it is. So that's a really great reminder. So it makes me think of another question. And I, I've heard this from other parents that sometimes they're one child feels an extra responsibility to protect or defend or have their their atypical siblings back in public spaces or in school and things like that. And, and they are concerned that that is a, a burden to their NT child. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think that actually does happen sometimes, especially when the kids get into the, the world. Um, I think the kid, the NT child typically sometimes often takes a protective role, either in the family or even in school or in in the community in some kind of way where they feel like they know there's a difference, they know that their sibling is more vulnerable in some kind of way, and they need to protect them. Um, And as a result, I've heard situations where there would be a child with special needs who's in like the fourth grade and they were brought down to their younger siblings classroom in the first grade, who's the NT child in order to calm them down. Like I've heard situations like that. And so I think what would be important is to recognize that if that child is feeling that sense of protection to again, talk to them and reassure them that they're not really responsible for that and that they are responsible for taking care of themselves and that you're very proud of them for looking out for their sibling and we all want to look out for each other, but they don't have to protect them. The parents are the ones doing the protecting. The other thing that happens sometimes is that that the NT child feels like they have to be perfect because the the special needs child isn't, if you will. And so they, they have to be as perfect and well-behaved as possible. And as a result, there might be some perfectionism that happens or over, you know, being really good when they're not necessarily feeling that way. So you really want to try to tell kids to not put some pressure, so much pressure on themselves that they have to be themselves somehow to make up for that loss in the family uh, that they're, the other child is having certain struggles. Hmm. That's super interesting. It, it makes sense. I hadn't thought of that, but I could see how easily that would happen. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, 
monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com slash club. That's tiltparenting.com slash club. I hope to see you on the inside. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. And so your answer to the question too about NT kids identifying as protectors of of their siblings I'm just going to ask you this, maybe it's just restating what you just said, but because this specifically was a question that came up, should parents enlist their NT children to be resources or supports for their atypical siblings? Or it sounds to me from your answer that we do not want them to feel any responsibility for playing that role. Um, I think, honestly, it's going to depend on the situation. Sometimes the NT kid is the older one, um, Mm -hmm. in which case, it's just natural that there would be some kind of helping out in families with, with all neurotypical children. So I, I do think it's going to depend on the situation. There's going to be situations where maybe the kid does have to help. And also helping can be a sense of pride. Like if a child is in a wheelchair, for example, and needs to be pushed or something like that, that could absolutely be something that would be very helpful. Or maybe you can help go get the supplies with mom that you need to get for your sibling. Maybe um, that child really enjoys playing games with the, the the child with special needs, and that's the way they contribute. Um, so I think it just depends on, on the situation. You got to look at it from both perspectives. Mm-hmm. That makes total sense. So okay, you've answered so many of the questions because in your answers, which is great. Um, I think this is going to be such helpful information for listeners. But one of the things that people want to know is if their kids have such different interests and are just very different uh, personality types, you know, there's a concern of wanting them to get along. So any suggestions, ideas about how to help them get along or maybe find common ground or um, maybe it goes back to that question, what should our goals be in terms of their relationship with each other? Right. Okay. I can think of this from two different perspectives. You want there to be a joining. You want the kids to get along or have something in common that they can 
be together with, and you also want them to have their independent lives, right? So what what can be done? <laughs> um, I, th- I think in any family, think about this. There always seems to be the, especially when you have a number of siblings, the two that are complete opposites, right? Who don't have anything in common, who don't really get along in certain ways, um, or don't really just spend time together. So I think the way you can start this process is by having the family be doing something together. If you're really going to try and join the kids, having everybody do something together, that's an activity. And then maybe the parents can get creative and do something where you have to split the kids up into doing different tasks for a, a bigger goal. But you want to try to introduce ways in which they can get to know each other in a different level, if you will. Or maybe you just find that one thing that they have in common, that maybe they both like to color. Maybe they both like to bounce the ball outside. Maybe they both like watching YouTube videos for 15 minutes, you know, or half an hour or even longer. Or a day. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Let's be realistic. And um, so if, you know, you don't want your kids watching YouTube videos all the time, but if that's what they both enjoy, then maybe you can say, okay, why don't you show your brother three of the videos that you like and you show your sister three of the videos that they like and they can watch them together and see if that works. You got to try different things to try and get them. And also you have to respect that just sometimes people aren't going to be as close as other people just naturally. And so honor that, you know, some kids are going to get along better than others, but as long as they're engaging with each other in some kind of way and they're, they're not just ignoring each other 24 seven, that's something. Awesome. So okay, I want to just ask you then are you know, I feel like we've talked about comparisons and resentment and respectful relationships and and some of the major themes in your work in in working with families and kids. Are there any common sibling dynamic challenges that we didn't talk about that you would want to make sure we cover in this episode? Hmm. That's a great question. So we've gotten the ones that really get along and protect each other a lot. Um, the ones that don't get along, um, you know, we, we, we can talk just a tiny bit about single children. And then we, there's also the kids that are in like families, with lots of kids. Um, I would say with, with kids who are only children, um, it's important, especially if they're a child with special needs, it's really important if you're a parent with special needs or of a child with special needs that you have your tribe and your community. So your podcast and other communities that are here to support um, and give guidance and and just community and tribe, that's super important. But your children need that too. So um, if it's an only child to be able to find some sort of community or tribe for them in, in a similar kind of way so that they have that ability to really have those interactions that they wouldn't, they don't necessarily have with a sibling. Um, but there's also benefits to being an only child mm-hmm. for sure. And in terms of other dynamics, I, I would say that there's sometimes with kids with special needs where the the other kid will try to pretend or imitate that there's they have something wrong with them. And then they start to act out in different ways or even the same way to and and to be able to say, well, you get all this attention for being having something wrong with you. I must have something wrong with me then. And so you have to address that dynamic as well because you want them to really feel like, hey, you know what, you're great the way you are and I'm going to give you the attention that you need for being who you are. Um, so that can get really difficult sometimes. And does that then just go back to making sure that 
you are having that quality time with your child and making sure and that they're getting the reinforcement they need for who they are. Yeah, it goes to that. And also learning just as much as you want to praise behaviors, you also want to ignore behaviors that you don't want to see anymore. So if they start acting in a certain way, you know, is not their thing, you ignore it, you don't respond to it. Mm -hmm. Um, We call it active ignoring. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a very powerful tool. Um, Because then they realize they're not going to get attention for that for doing something that's not really about them. Active ignoring. Active ignoring. That is going to be my word of the week. I kind of love that. (laughs) Labeled praise (laughs) and active ignoring. (laughs) Those are the two words you want to know. That's awesome. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much. This has been super interesting. Yeah, we covered a lot. And I just so appreciate your expertise in this area. I know this is going to be very helpful. Um, I'll be curious to hear what follow up questions I get from this episode. Because again, this is a topic that people are really hungry for more resources on. So thank you for taking the time to to come by and share this with us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. For the show notes for this episode, where you can download the transcript, as well as find links for all the resources we discussed, visit tiltparenting.com slash session 176. If you want to be a part of Tilt Parenting and get my short weekly emails where I share resources, relevant news articles, and personal messages for me, you can sign up on tiltparenting.com. Lastly, don't forget to leave a rating or a review or both for Tilt Parenting on iTunes if you haven't done so already. Ratings and reviews help keep this podcast visible in an ever-growing sea of podcasts. Thank you so much for considering. And that's all for this week. For more information on Tilt Parenting, visit www.tiltparenting.com. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're, Amy, more of a, we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, Mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts.